know anything about me, I'm the type of person that loves a good routine. Yeah, that's my brother in the back calling it out. You know, I, I, I believe, I believe that one of the reasons why I grew up being such a picky eater, okay, was not only because my mom would go out of her way <laughs> against popular opinion to make me whatever I wanted, you know, but, <laughs> but, but frankly, frankly, we didn't grow up having much. So therefore, our life had to be based on a routine. So I pretty much knew what I was going to eat every Monday for the first 15 years of my life, okay? <laughs> You know, it was like literally it was a routine. It was, it was this, 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 this day, this, this day. It was, it was pretty common. We ate the same thing over and over, and I was happy. It's not like I ever sat down and said, oh, man, you know, mom, not this again. No, I'm the opposite. I was like routine, routine, more, mom, more, you know. Something about a routine has always set a little different in my life and give me some sort of comfort. If, you, if you've been with me or, or lived with me, everything goes in the same place. Everything is placed in a particular position. This watch will go exactly where I picked it up from, this ring, this thing, my wallet. Everything is very specific. Uh, my closet side looks completely different than Rosie's side, Okay. You know, I'm just a guy that's just kind of like loves a routine. I, I like taking my time and doing things a certain way. And, and that can have pros and cons to it, you know. It makes me really efficient in a lot of the things that I'm doing. I'm able to do a lot of things because I'm so organized and it, it works out really good. It, it gives me this ability to control difficult situations and be all over them. And it helps me to be focused, to know how everything happens. If I put my watch in the wrong place, I'll just forget it the next day. Okay, because I didn't put it in the same place that I had it before. It also works out to be a con in my life because it makes me into a little control freak sometimes, you know. I'm not so open-minded, don't really like change. If you tell me, like, I'll give you an instance. Like, right now we're in the process of listing our house in the market. Well, I've been a person that's always parked my car in the garage, okay. I'm one of those weirdos that keeps my garage clean enough that I could actually pull my vehicle in, okay. Now, I, I do this, but with the house, the realtor walks in and she's like, this has got to go, this has got to go, this has got to go, this has got to go. You gotta... So my garage literally has started a house, all these little things that can't be in the house, and my Jeep has to sleep outside, you know? <laughs> First world problems here. Um, but, but the routine aspect of it, it's not whether my car sleeps outside or not, it's the routine aspect of it all it just doesn't sit well with me. You say, man, Moises, you're describing a pretty horrible person. You know, but I do believe that adjusting our habits and, and directing our habits in the proper lane and a good routine can have a lasting impact in our relationship with God and our relationship with other people. Let me read to you Mark chapter 1, verse 35 to 38, and we're going to dive right into it. As Jesus is preparing himself to preach and cast out more demons, the Bible says in verse 35, before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. When they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. But Jesus replied, we must go on to other towns as well, and I will preach to them too. That is why I came. 
So he traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. We know that Jesus was fully man, and we also know that he was fully God. And when we consider this, I sometimes stumble with this just a little bit because I cannot comprehend if Jesus was all-knowing and although he was fully human, he was also fully God, was he really praying to himself? It has been one of the hardest things for me to comprehend about my faith. However, this is not a thought that is new to anyone. Okay, we see it in in, in Matthew chapter 8. We see the story of Jesus calming the storm. It says, then Jesus got up in verse 23. Then Jesus got up into the boat and started uh, across the lake with his disciples. Suddenly a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him up shouting, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Jesus responded, "Why why are you afraid? You have so little faith. They got up and rebuked the wind and the waves, and suddenly there was a great calm. The disciples were amazed. They said, who is this man? They asked. Even the winds and the waves obey him. They are wrestling with that same thought. I see a man in front of me who's doing things that aren't like any other man that I have ever met before. We can read this story and overlook the contrast between the two natures of Jesus here. He is sleeping, tired, hungry, thirsty, but when he wakes up, he he rebukes and calms the waves. So the question is, did Jesus calm the waves as a perfect sinless man or did he do it as the son of God? And the answer to that question is very simple. It is yes. Because his humanity and divinity are inseparable. Why is this so important and something that we should consider as great news for us this morning? Because as a human, he understands the storms we face. And as a son of God, he has the ability to see us through them. He has the capability of identifying with you through the problem you're going through as a human being. And he also has the power to overcome those things for you. That is something we can rely on this morning. There are details about the life of Jesus that are included in scriptures that when I look at them sometimes, I say, you know what? This story could have avoided this detail. Did we really need to know all the ins and outs of what happened and how it happened? And why did the Bible say this about that? However, when you consider a text that was written thousands of years ago, that was meant to be read today, 2,000 years later, and still have an effect and an impact on people that would change lives, we better pay attention to the details because there's a lot going on here. So as we read verse 35 this morning, it says, Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. And we read this verse and we, we know that throughout scripture, Jesus had this tendency to pray and, and communicate with God. In this particular verse, we see that Jesus, he's given us the content for the ability. He's given us, this is what I'm going to do before I do this. I'm going to pray and meet with my father before I do something amazing. Okay. We see it on verse 39. So he traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. 
So we see a routine that Jesus had that had an effect in his life, that had an effect in his ministry and allowed him the ability to accomplish the work set forth by God in his life. Routines are not that bad. Routines are not that bad. This verse could very easily be skipped and passed over. Not many people realize how devoted Jesus was to spending time along with his father. Now, this is not only the instance, as I told you before, we see Jesus intentionally spending time alone in the morning at some points of the day with the Lord, time in and time out. There are accounts of this practice in all the Gospels. I'll give you a few examples. We see him retreating alone to pray after performing miracles. In Luke chapter 5, he says in verse 16, one day soon after, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. Matthew 14, 23, after after sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Before calling his disciples in Luke chapter 6, we see him again in verse 12 and 13. One day soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. So we constantly see this flow where Jesus finds it a priority to have a habit in his life that is built through communication with the Father. Even just before he went on the cross, one of the most amazing moments of his life that we all can relate to in one way or another, not necessarily because we, we died and rose again, but because we see a point in his life that is sort of a breaking point with his emotions in Matthew chapter 26, verse 39, where he says, he went on a little further and bowed his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. You think of these concepts and you say, Jesus, you, you're, you're constantly talking to the Father, and it's the Father looking at Jesus saying, I know, I know, I know. And Jesus is saying, I know too, I know, I know, I know too. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. And it's a confusing concept to comprehend, but one we must watch very closely and not miss on. The entire chapter 17 of the book of John is an entire prayer of Jesus. So Jesus evidently under, understood the necessity of nurturing his relationship with his father and replenishing his soul with prayer, solitude, and truth. Something that, folks, I'm telling you, we don't prioritize enough in our lives today. Although Jesus was still completely God, he was also completely man and therefore needed to care for his soul and health in similar ways as we need to today. He found rest in the Father, but he also found the strength to keep pursuing the mission and the vision that the Spirit was leading him into as he is called by God to do this job. And as a result of that, we all benefit from a salvation and an eternal promise for us today. It also helped him not to fall on the schemes of the enemy in his life, to stay centered a man that wouldn't allow to be swayed one way or another. He was able to accomplish the mission as he was obedient and, and did the work that he came to do into this place. He came to bring redemption, reconciliation, a true life in the kingdom of God in heaven. One that you and I benefit from today. And as we look at Jesus' life in the beginning of his ministry, we see that he had a habit, a holy habit. 
one that we all can use a lot of help from. So what we're seeing, this different side of humanity displayed by Jesus, this should not cause us to pay less attention to the details of what's taking place. Because there is a humanity and a divinity that we have to follow. I wrote a statement up and I put it up this way and this is how it says. It says, when it comes to Jesus, we imitate his humanity and obey his divinity. That's why it is extremely important for us to pay attention to the details of the life of Jesus. Because there's a humanity that as humans we imitate, but there's a lordship that we're called to obey. That stands alone, that, that, that goes above and beyond our entire humanity. And the holy routine of prayer in our lives has the tendency to serve both aspects of that truth. Because one open line of communication with God is really all we need. And when we understand that fact, our lives will drastically change. We look at prayer, though, as this magic wand that we use. You've heard it say that anyone could run to God in the 911 moment. That's easy. Tragedy happens around the world. The, the churches get full. We're okay controlling our lives into the point of disaster. Then we want God to take control when everything is doomed. When we can't do anything about it personally, we want God to take control. And we look at prayer through the success of outcome and results. And what did God do for me when I came before him in prayer? We just read Matthew 26 where Jesus is having this battle between himself, wanting something from God, but saying, if your will is different, let it be so. So we understand that prayer is just not this magic wand that's always going to work in our favor. Just like talking to your spouse doesn't always work in your favor. Some of us get it. <laughs> amen, amen. You want me to do a call of prayer, everybody? Anybody pray? <laughs> and I think, I think that, that, that this, this brings us to a point where we have to start looking at prayer differently if we want it to become a routine of our lives that is a holy routine that we practice. What if prayer is looked at as the beginning, not the answer? Because it's really based on how we respond to our creator. In other words, prayer is not the answer, it's the beginning. The answer is our obedience to what God has called us to do. Because realistically, lack of prayer reveals our lack of dependency in God. If you don't pray to God all the time, then there must be times in your life where things are good enough. Where you feel like you don't need to communicate to God. Therefore, you only pray to God when there's a particular need in your life, which is okay. I'm not saying coming for prayer requests from God is a bad thing. But what other way can we understand it? Prayer usually tends to be less about receiving and more about becoming. It's a tool for communication. Becoming what? Beginning what? The goal of prayer is for us to reach God, not just for God to give us something. In other words, we get God during prayer. We don't just get something. 
It becomes an access point. The sad part is that something for some of us sitting in the room, that's not good enough. Just getting God isn't really what we're looking for. Which is shocking to me because some of our most important relationships in our lives only are as important because of the consistency and the priority of our communication. I have a successful relationship with my wife the more we communicate with one another. She knows me more and I know her more because we communicate to one another. One of the most stressful things about going on a date with my wife early on was, what are we going to talk about? Because you were going to order that food, but then you were going to sit there, stare at each other. And if you're a guy, right, you sit there at home and you're like, all right, so yeah, my mom, my dad, you know, my goals in life. And you go through your line of things that you want to talk about. And what's important about this is that we must understand that God wants this level of relationship with you. Romans 5.10 says that through the death of his son, while we were still the enemies, our friendship with God was restored. A friendship with God was restored. Jesus, Jesus changed the situation for all of us. We, we, we must comprehend that when he paid for our sins on the cross, the veil at the temple that symbolized our separation from God was torn. Okay? Indicating direct access to God once again available for all. So if there's now access, why do we sometimes second guess God's whereabouts? Have you noticed that in prayer, in a, lot of more, most, in a lot of our most difficult places in life, we say, God, where are you? I mean, we have turned our relationship to God, with God to a game of, of peekaboo. Tag, you're it. Ah, found you. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just this constant questioning about God's whereabouts. Let me give you some clarity in this concept because questioning God's whereabouts only serves as an expression of our lack of understanding for God's presence in our present. It's not a point of location of where God is. It's our questioning the concept of how can you be present in this present? There's no way, God, you are physically here right now because it's really bad. So we default back to, where did you go? Because if you were here, there's no way this would be happening to me or this would be happening to that person. So we default to God's whereabouts when our problem is that we don't understand his presence in our present. Our relationship to God has many different aspects. God is our creator and maker, Lord, master, judge, redeemer, father, savior, and much more. But one of the most shocking truth is that he wants to, he yearns to be our friend. Whew. Why? There's people that don't want to be my friend. But God wants to be your friend. People will probably look at you and say, you're a difficult person to deal with. You might have been the person someone ever said before. Hey, I'm not calling him. You're crazy. 
He'll talk my ear off, you know? But you have a God, the almighty creator, who's yearning to be your friend, to be in close relationship with you. And that relationship requires a deeper communication, unlike anything you have ever experienced. And like any other relationship, you will never grow a close relationship with God by just attending church once a week or even having daily quiet with him, daily quiet time with him. This is one of the reasons why social media is so important to people nowadays. Not important. I finished that kind of weird, right? No. I'm not promoting social media. Doing the opposite. Here goes. Put the phones away. Here goes. No. It's important because we get to dictate the content. It allows us to present a person that we're not. What happens when something amazing is happening around us? You look around you and a hundred phones come out. Because people want to, to highlight the biggest moment of their life and present this to other people as their great experience of the day. I told you one of the biggest fights we had, Rosie and I, is when we were in our honeymoon. And Rosie handed me a little bitty camera, digital camera like this. And we went to SeaWorld. And there was a whale the size of this room in front of me. And she kept asking me to take a picture of it through that little thing. And I said, I can't do it. This thing is like this, and you're wanting me to look at it through this. I know it'll serve as memory, right? But my goodness, you take on the camera. Let me watch it. You know, like. And it's insane because we have dictated and controlled the content of our lives in these friendships that we call through our social media. But friendship with God is different. In fact, true friendship with others is different. Because in order for it to succeed, we can only build it by sharing all of our lives and everything that comes with it. You're not going to get by forever by faking it. Faking it until you make it isn't the way to achieve things here. This relationship requires you to be wide open and understanding that there's a God that knows it all already. So in order for that relationship to work fully, it's about us opening up completely. You're like, but God knows it all already. What do I have to open up? Ask Jesus that question because he was constantly praying to him and communicating with him. There's a point of his humanity that we have to imitate even when dealing with the all-knowing mighty God. It, it, it'll take you to go a step further. We are talking about developing a holy routine with God. And while it is important for us to establish the habit of daily devotional time with God, we also need to understand that God wants us to do more than just be another appointment on our calendar. Follow me? You may be great with your routine. I get up in the morning, I make my coffee, I get my devotional out, I read, I pray, and then I go to work. That's great. But have you ever considered that he wants to be included in every aspect of your life? In every activity? In every conversation? In every problem? In every thought? This may seem radical, but I think we have to comprehend this. I've always said that if you want to start somewhere, start by bringing God into where you are currently. I told you many times before, God isn't looking for an upgraded version of yourself. He is looking for you. 
We see Jesus never lowered his standards. Instead, he met people right where they were. For other relationships, you, you have to get ready, right? I would go on a date with Rosie. I'll say, hey, I need to get a haircut. And you, and you build, you get ready for it. Check the bank account. Make sure you could cover it. You know what I'm saying? Times were rough back then. You know, pick the spot. We couldn't just go anywhere. But you got to make it nice. Little chilies ain't going to hurt nobody. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. There's nothing wrong with chilies, but then there is. So you don't you don't take a Mexican woman to to, to chilies, okay? <laughs> nothing Tex-Mex related. It just doesn't sit well. <laughs> yeah, my wife is Mexican. Um, All right, where was I at? That's why I need to focus on what I'm doing because then I throw myself off. Yeah, good word. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Cortez. <laughs> the Bible, in fact, tells us that we should pray without ceasing. This means that we can carry on a continuous, open-ended conversation with, our, with, with, with God throughout our entire day. And it's going to sound crazy while we shop, drive, work, you know. If you ever see me driving down the road and I'm talking to myself, I'm talking to God. I've replaced it. I used to talk to myself a lot more. But like everything in our lives, we can't comprehend it. We don't understand how it works. So all we default to is to put Jesus and God back in that box that we understand. Because if it doesn't flow to our box of understanding, we just can't seem to comprehend it. We have created this box that says spending time with God means alone time with Him. And while this is great, our relationship with God should not be limited to alone time with Him. Jesus modeled alone time with God. But we don't understand that that is only a fraction of our waking hours. If God is only an appointed time on your calendar daily... Praise God for that. But if it ends there, you could be missing out on a whole lot when you have a God that is telling you, pray without ceasing. I want all of you. Surrender completely to me. See, I don't stop being a husband when I'm not talking to my wife. I'm still her husband. So, so I'm all in in that relationship. That level of devotion may seem excessive, but it will be the most beneficial thing you will ever do. It may even seem a little drastic and a little bit out of the normal, okay? That you'll be like, do I really have to do something? Listen, I was so freaked out about a guy that my dad used to let in the house. That was his friend when he was a pastor. I was eight years old in Puerto Rico, okay? This guy would come into the house and my dad will say to him, hey friend, Okay, I'll keep his name out of it. I don't want to put him out there like that. So, hey, friend, you want something to drink? The guy said, yeah, some water will be nice. And my dad will pour him a glass of water. Okay, all normal, right? Great. This guy grabs a glass of water, lifts it up in the air, and starts praying and thanking God for the water. And I'm sitting there as a kid like, okay, dude, I mean, I get it. And he's going in. He's like, Lord, we bless this water. And he's just going on in the middle of my house. 
I haven't even woken up yet. I'm like, what's going on? And that may seem a little excessive, but some of us may need to interrupt our lives in this way to allow a good relationship with God to start developing in all the areas of our lives, as difficult and uncomfortable as it may seem. The key to the friendship and relationship with God is not necessarily about changing what we do, but more about changing our attitude towards what we do. A good practical way to start is by taking things that you normally do for yourself and do those things for God. You're like, so weird. Eating, bathing, working, relaxing, taking out the trash. How? Because we have developed this concept that in order for us to spend meaningful relationship with God and time with God, we have to get away from our daily routine in order to work this good, meaningful time with God. But what if I told you that it's only because you haven't learned to practice his presence all the time? I believe that the reason why areas of our lives are out of control is because we haven't let God in them. Because we put limitations in the areas of our lives that God can get in. We have created a divider between us and God. Ourselves. We have said, this door I lock. And when I'm here, I'll be back with you on my alone time with you later. And for us to understand God's ideal for something, we can always look at his creation. And how he intended things to be, what we see in Eden is that worship was not an event to attend, but a personal perpetual attitude where Adam and Eve were in constant communication with God and every single aspect of their lives was shared with the creator. So now because God is with you all the time, there's no place any closer to God than the place where you are right now. He doesn't have to find you and you don't have to find him. Death on the cross and that resurrection dealt with that. Ephesians 4, 6 says, One God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, living through all. The word all is used a lot in that sentence. When it comes to our dealings with God, it seems like this word all is heavily inserted. The Bible says and even tells us to pray all the time. We even use terms in the church where I'll say, God is good. And all the time. And we're all like, yeah. <laughs> and then we go to lunch afterwards. But please explain to me what part of your life is off limits to him. What is the room, the closet that he can't get in? The place where you say, yeah, I prayed, I read my devotionals. God, I got it from here. Usually, those places are the most out of control places. But we somehow have told ourselves this is the box where my God fits in. He knows. I know. Therefore, I go. 
and do what I got to do. Yeah, God is good all the time. Yeah, I should pray all the time. Yeah, he's looking for my full surrender. Man, don't I know it. But practically, we live our lives differently. What I want us to understand this morning is that everything we do can be considered spending time with God as long as he is invited to be a part of it and we're constantly reminded and are aware of his presence in it. Practicing the presence of God and acknowledge, acknowledging that his presence, it, it takes skill. It's a habit that we have to develop. We need to train our minds to remember God. It is sad to put it this way, but it can be one of our biggest deficiencies as Christians. One of our biggest hang-ups to not understand, why should I allow God to be part of this side of my life? And why should I? I thought he only came when I, and he only did when I, and when I just talked to him, that's when he activates himself. Like it's some magical ring or something like that's another cartoon. I won't tell you about it. You know, if Jesus knew it all, why did he feel the need to constantly communicate with the Father? And I believe that it is because it kept that relationship detailed and specific. What do we do with people we don't like or we're upset at? We don't talk to them. Pretty sad scenario, but when I get mad at my wife, we don't talk to each other. And I'm miserable through the process. I hope she is too. <laughs> but I won't speak for her. <laughs> and, and, and the truth is that our God wants to be in a detailed and specific relationship with you. He yearns to be your friend. And that's specific. That's specific. That's not the I'll come by tomorrow. That's the I'll come by tomorrow at 7 on the dot. Specific. It's a big difference. Brian, if I told you I'll be at your house tomorrow at some time, you'll be like, uh, no, you won't. Tell me when you're coming. That's how specific God wants our relationship to be with him. God is wanting the same out of our communication and relationship with him. There's no such thing as too much commitment to God. You're like, Moises, you want me to turn into a Jesus freak? Yes. We could honestly sit around this room and understand that anything that we have benefited from God so far in our lifetime, there's more where that came from. There's deeper relationship, more that we could grow from. You know how sometimes we have this unbalanced relationships. You've seen them where you got that buddy of yours that, you know, it's a lot of give and no take. That friend that always wants but doesn't give. And we sometimes treat our relationship with God the same exact way. It's a relationship that we only seek when we need something, when we want something, when we're missing something, when a certain part of our life just hasn't connected and we go to him in 911 moments and he says, what about the friendship and the relationship? What about your commitment to me to always stay in contact with me and communicate with me? And then areas of our lives get out of control 
And we simply have them this way because we refuse to allow God to be a part of them. Psalms 25, 14 says, friendship with God is reserved for those who reverence him. With them alone, he shares the secret of his promises. Our ultimate destination with all of this is not that we will end up feeling a certain way about things where our feelings end up fluctuating and we have better days than other days. No, our goal is to continually have this awareness of the reality that there is always a God present. Man, but we're so afraid of the letdown because of our wants and desires. We're like, if I, if I bring God into it, is he going to let me down again? Because I didn't get what I want or how I wanted it or at the time that I saw it coming. That is the daily lifestyle that we're seeking. Sadly, it may not still be good enough for some of you. However, I'm here to tell you this morning the complete opposite, that only God and all of God and through all, God is all we need. You need to figure out how to plug that into your life personally. How do I filter my entire living life through God? How can I just bring him into where I am today? It's not about carving more time out tomorrow. Bring him to where you're at today. And you're like, that would be horrible. Exactly. It'll give you the conviction to alter your life. It'll serve as an instant indicator of what you need to do and need to stop doing. It's the ultimate what would Jesus do concept. You bring him into every area of your life and all of a sudden your life starts being adjusted. You know what happens when I'm upset at my wife? I start thinking of God and I get weird and all worked up. And I'm like, Sonny, I'm sorry. <laughs> he said, I know. <laughs> Instantly, you're redeemed. Bringing God into the room has an impact. Bringing God into your life will change things and transform you in areas that you never thought imaginable. The reality is that God, one way or another, is going to bring you back to a place of dependency on him as long as you seek him. So you want that to happen the good way or the bad way? Do you want to try to lead the charge on that and say, God, here I am. Take me as I am. Transform me. What do I need to stop? What needs to go? I remember when I first, um, I, I went through the season where I kind of gave myself up. And, and from 14 till about 18, you know, the pastor's kids rebelling like, ah, oh, I'm going to do what I want. This is crazy. I don't want this life anymore. And I just went through the season of my life that was kind of rebellious. You may have kids that are there. So I, 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 I started going back to church and I started getting my life right with God. And, you know, I, I'm like, I'm, I'm going to do things right. And, and I had this thing called CDs. You might not know what it is, okay? But really bad music that I was into. And I had this huge binder and I would keep it in my car, you know, with all the good music, but bad music, if you know what I mean. And one day I came out of my apartment and my car had been vandalized. And they took my, all my CDs. And in a way, I didn't feel bad. You know, what, what was I going to say? God, why? 
it was evident that things in my life needed to change. So I feel pretty silly, but in one way or another, God drove me to a place where he needed me to be. I almost like that concept. Sometimes we find ourselves out of money, out of strength, out of ideas, out of opportunities in life. But as Christians, we are never out of everything because we always have God who is more than everything. And with God, we have everything we need. Second Chronicles chapter 20, King Judah, at the time he was terrified as nations were surrounding him. Okay? He was outnumbered. And in verse 6, he begins this lengthy prayer. And on verse 12, he says, he finishes by saying, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. He pretty much said, God, you, you have this. I don't. And while this may be the place of desperation, it culminates and brings the king back to an expected praise of where God wants us daily, which is a place of dependency. The Bible says that they begin to sing and worship, and in that process, all of them who had come against Judah were defeated. You may be here today at the end of your resource, and here's the good news. There is no better place to be. Because if I want to be somewhere, I want to be in the place where God has control. He has the act. I, I feel better when I can't control the situation. When it's not my decision, oh, that's the best statement to ever make. It's in God's hands now. And it's the truth. C.S. Lewis said this, you can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending. God is looking for you to understand. He's expecting you. He's not looking for you to understand. He's expecting you to trust him. And if you don't trust him, it's only because you, have allowed, you haven't allowed God to be part of every segment of your life. Proverbs 3.5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. And we take this verse for granted. When you trust him, then you don't worry. David said in, in Psalms 116, I said to myself, relax. The Lord is going to take care of you. If you really trust your all to God, you're going to be less stressed. And we could all use a dosage of that here once in a while, right? Ultimately, you have a choice to make. You know what? You want to be more worried? Fine. Or you could worship a little bit more. Do you want to be more panicked? Or you could just pray a little bit more. The more you pray, the less panicked you become. In fact, when I've taken some of my difficult moments before God, I've realized, wow, this is not that big of a deal in the first place. The Bible says in Proverbs, Proverbs 14 and 30, and I'll leave you with this. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. You know, I, I understand that what you eat matters, but what eats at you matters too. You could have all the organic food you want, okay? You know, grass-fed, you name it. I can't even keep up with it. But if your body is filled with resentment, worried, fear, loss, lust, guilt, anger, bitterness, or any other emotion, disease is going to kill your life. 
There are things eating at you that you refuse to give access to God to. But you have your daily devotional with him every morning. And you carve out that time. And while that's important, God wants all of you, not just a portion of you. He doesn't want to be another appointment on your schedule. He wants a devoted life that is given completely to him. You do that and you watch him change you completely. You know what your holy routine is? It starts with God, goes through the day with God, and it ends with God. Amen? Bow your heads and pray with me. There is no room to pause that relationship with God. Having God in our lives should be that priority that we keep in the forefront of everything that we do. And he wants the relationship with you. It's not you forcing yourself to have a relationship with God that he doesn't want. It's him wanting to purposely say, hey, where are you? I have this all in relationship with you. So today we pray that God will break the heart and prepare you to allow God in those areas of your life that you haven't allowed him in yet. Heavenly Father, we come before you right now, Lord, and we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds for us to receive from you what it is that you want. Lord, if there are lines on the sands that we have drawn to keep you away from, or maybe we haven't noticed, maybe we've gone about our lives differently, indifferently, thinking that we just spend time with you and then you take care of the rest, but we go about our lives like nothing is happening. God, allow us to understand that bringing you into everything is what's going to help us overcome those things that we deal with the most. Help us, God, change our way of thinking so that we may give you glory and interact and allow you to come in into those areas of our lives that are most difficult. Lord, you tell us to pray all the time, to communicate with you all the time, and we thank you for giving us eternal access to that luxury. We don't take it for granted, God. Our lives belong to you. Thank you. Thank you. We example of Jesus and his humanity that we get to imitate. We will be obedient and trust you and trust you fully with all of it, God, knowing that you have our best interests at hand. Thank you, God, for being so good and for everything that you do. It is in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.